How's it going? Welcome back to Pine Football. I'm your host, Brady Freehill, and with me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Avery Jones. What's up, guys? All right, so we got a very special episode for you today. Not only will we cover the first round and, you know, two extra games, I guess, for uh, the Copa America, we also have a special guest in Greg Garza. Greg Garza, if you don't know who he is, which you should if you listen to this podcast, he's made nine caps for the men's national team. He plays for Club Tijuana in Mexico. He is a defender. He's a very good player. I mean, I, I remember him coming out and playing in the Gold Cup. He's a great player, great guy, too. Great interview, so yeah, make definitely. sure to listen. All right, so today we're uh, joined by Greg Garza. How's it going, Greg? Pretty good. Thank you guys for having me on the show, man. Not a problem, though. No. Nice. So, Greg, how long have you been out with injury? Uh, it has been a game of patience about seven to eight months. I, my, I had two different surgeries. My first surgery was uh, actually... In the end of September, and my second surgery was the middle of October of 2015. So it's been it's been a long road for me. Oh wow, yeah, that that has been a long time. Is it pretty tough having to sit on the sidelines and watch, you know, not only your club but your country play? Uh, for sure, definitely. Yeah, for me, it's it, it was one of those situations to where here in my club, I kind of didn't even want to go to the stadium. You know, you just mentally, uh, you know, mentally just just broken down, right? Not. Not even, not even wanting to watch soccer on TV, you know. Just every everything has to do with soccer. You kind of don't want to deal with it since uh, you see yourself on that field, you see yourself playing and touching the ball again, and, and unfortunately you can't do that at that moment. But you know, uh, it's been a, it's been a pretty big game of patience. I'm just happy to uh, to be back. You know, I, I started training. We just started training two days ago, and, and I'm training uh, full 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 throttle right now. So feeling actually really well. It's feeling great, and um, hopefully you back this season. Awesome. So you'll be ready to go right when the season starts. The season will start here in Mexico on uh, in July, the middle of July. So I'm, I'm ready to go. It's, it's been a long road for me, but uh, I'm, I'm ready. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, you know, as a soccer player, you know, I've I've been through injuries like that. I mean, thankfully not as severe. Um, my my longest injury only lasted about 16 weeks. But you know, you I, I definitely agree. You know, you go through those times where you don't even want to play and stuff like that. But at the same time, you know, you're always there for your teammates and, you know, you always, you know, want to watch. And I'm sure you've been watching the Copa America, um, just kind of transitioning to that. What did you think about the game against uh, Costa Rica? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the support the support level will always be there for especially my teammates here in my club and also even more for, uh, for my country. You know, I'm very happy with the win that we had. You know, I think that the team actually did really well uh, together and, you know, hopefully it builds some confidence for us to – to actually get a big win against Paraguay and, and, and still be in the tournament and make it to, 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 to the to elimination rounds. Right, right. Um, I think it was definitely a good way to bounce back against uh, against a quality opponent in Costa Rica. I mean, obviously they're missing Keylor Navas, one of the best you know keepers in the world at the moment. Um, but they're still a quality opponent, and you know after I don't want to say dismal, but after a poor performance uh, against Colombia, I thought we could have played a lot better, um, and we didn't play to our potential. Um, granted, they are the number four team in the in the world right now. Um, I think it was a good way to bounce back. Oh, for sure, yeah. And, um, I mean, Columbia was definitely a wake-up call for us, right? Um, you know, I, I played in the Columbia game, actually, uh, about a year, I want to say, geez, almost two years ago, right? Um, a year and a half ago. Right. Um, uh, in London. Um, but, uh, you know, we actually played a really good game, and just to compare those two, I think that, you know, the one in London was much better than the one I, I saw a few days ago, but just really happy for the guys that that was a huge wake-up call for us, and 
and uh, actually to be back in this tournament. You know, it's, it's very important to on our, our home soil to actually show the people in the States that, you know, we can compete against these uh, these, these South American and, and, and Central American giants. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And so, I mean, did you, so when you were deciding what national team to play for, because you could play for Mexico too, I'm right? Uh, yeah, you know, that, that was, I mean, for me growing up, I mean, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, so I'm, I actually, one of the very few players that have actually done every single age group of the national team. So from our very first camp in U14, that was probably about just turning 13 years old uh, in Boston for the national team all the way up to the 23s and now to the, the first team. So I did ac- actually every single age group, uh, you know, went to the 17 World Cup, uh, didn't qualify for the U20s, which was a very bad situation for all of us, and then didn't qualify for the 23 Olympics either. So, you know, it's uh, it's been a long road, but, you know, it's definitely a, a very successful one for me on a personal note. So I'm very, very happy to represent my country. There's no better no better feeling than when you put on a jersey the, 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 you put on the jersey with the with the U.S. crest so I'm very happy with uh, my career and, and even though it's uh, I have a bit of a stepping stone right now to, to actually get through this injury but, but hopefully be back with the national team program as quickly as possible yeah Definitely. for sure and then uh, regarding the Olympics I was actually at the Columbia USA game in Dallas and I, I felt like our U23 team was I mean I like we were outclassed by Colombia at the U23 level, and I, I felt like, like, do you think it's a big let off not going to the Olympics to help these kids develop? Um, yeah, I think it's just the Olympics for me on a personal note is just a, a privilege. You know, everyone dreams of actually going to a, an Olympics, right? And for us, it's it's not it's not that often. So I mean, uh, you know, you can only you can only uh, call so many people. You can only call so many people in that older than uh, 23 years old, right? So for us, it's definitely a way to actually, you know, be in Olympics and just have that privilege to, to actually uh, play in, in a different country and represent your country at one of the highest levels. Yeah. I- yeah. Um, real quick, definitely. Uh, I was going to say, going off of the Olympics, you know, because it is a technically an amateur competition, there's an age requirement. Um, it would be a great opportunity to bring guys like Julian Green, like... Um, like Jordan Morris. Like Jordan Morris, sorry. Um, like Jordan Morris, you know, younger guys that didn't make the Copa America squad for whatever reason um, and get them, you know, valuable experience against world-class opponents. Uh, would you agree with that? Right, or? right. I would definitely agree with that. But, I mean, not not being, with, not being able to go, I mean, those guys have to get get ahead of that and, and hopefully uh, move on with their careers. So, I mean, we have to, as a nation, we have to move on and then just hope for the best for the next, uh, next go-around. Right. So, I... I noticed that growing up, you played for the youth teams for Sao Paulo and sporting in Portugal. I mean, what was that like moving around so much? Uh, you know, I originally grew up in Dallas, Texas and had the opportunity to leave home at 12. So I was about 12 years old when I had the, the, the opportunity to, to go to Sao Paulo and, and, and stay there for about a year and a half. So I was almost, uh, yeah, probably about a year and a half in, in Brazil. And, and I mean, I think that's really where I developed my my the way I play my soccer. So, I mean, you, it's, it's, it's a wonderful country to go to, to learn. And I think that's really where I matured as a person too, you know, just seeing, uh, so many, so many kids that are 12, 13 years old that are, are, are playing on the field to, to put food, uh, on the table for their families, you know, and my, my, my major concern at that age was, uh, to have my game boy and take my PlayStation wherever I go. So you just, I threw myself into a world that, uh, you know, kids have different expectations to be a, a football player and they do it for a, a, a 
you know, for me, it was something that I enjoyed. For them, it was actually a lifestyle, an actual religion to, to get themselves out of, out of poverty. So, I mean, I was 12 years old when I when I walked into that, and you know, it felt uh, it was very wonderful for me. Wonderful for me to actually learn the way they played and, and to actually, you know, really learn the way they lived as well. Right, and kind of going off of that, you mentioned the the culture is a lot different over there, um, and in many countries around the world that it, where soccer is, you know, the number one sport, um, and the U.S. it's it's just not like that, especially uh, with soccer. Um, you know, you see that with other sports sometimes with basketball or football, but we don't have the same culture where you have to be great at soccer to you know put food on the table, like you said. Um, and I, I don't think I can't see the U.S. moving to a culture like that, like a, a cultural shift to towards soccer um, in the way that these other countries have. And that is kind of a hindrance, I believe, to the development of youth in the United States. I mean, we have brought some good youth players through, um, but they a good a good chunk of them are, you know, quote unquote, Germanicans, guys that came from, you know, Germany that were born to American military parents or, you know, other countries in the same situation. Um, do you think that the U.S. will ever be able to make up that gap and start producing domestic talent um, like these other countries do? I mean, if you really do think about it, soccer is pretty uh, is a pretty new sport for for the Americans. It hasn't been around that long. So, I mean, the MLS was was started in the 1990s, I believe. So, I mean, this is something that you know it's. While other teams are created even 1900s, you know, way way back when, right? So the, the, this is a uh, Especially when you go to these different countries, these people bleed, sleep, eat. They, their religion is, is soccer, and 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 in the states, uh, I think the religion will always be the the hand, the hand, uh, the handball game. So it's you know you have American football, basketball, baseball. These will always be the bigger sports. But I mean you know soccer, from what I've seen and when I've been in a, a, a little kid from going to Dallas Burn games and, and Dallas Sidekick games, indoor games, and now today having FC Dallas and having their. Uh, their youth program and the academy leagues, all, all that is growing. So, you know, if, if you've seen that, that's been uh, in the matter of, what, maybe uh, 12, 13 years. So, I mean, who knows what, what, what's, uh, what's to happen within my lifetime, and I'm sure whatever happens in, in, in other young players' lifetimes that are growing in this situation, I'm sure it will be much better as well. So, I mean, to me, I think one day soccer will be the number one sport in America. I think you just have to give it time and, and, and let the let the, let the the sport grow. I mean, if you can see today, almost all the stadiums are, uh, are not sold out, but, you know, you had 60,000 people at the, at the last game, and you have a lot of people at, at every game. So it's, it's a wonderful thing to see uh, – that, that all these people are really coming together to watch the sport, and especially, I think the most the most valuable lesson was actually with the 2014 World Cup, with how many people actually within the United States watched, watched the 2014 World Cup. Right. Yeah, I definitely agree with you know soccer in the U.S. is definitely heading in the right direction, and I really hope you're right that you know one day it will be the number one sport in America. Um, and I definitely agree with the. Uh, the statement you made about you know FC Dallas's youth youth team as well as you know other MLS youth teams um, you know growing up in Central Texas and playing for Lone Star I don't know if you're familiar with them but we had to play yeah, yeah. FC, we had to play FC Dallas a lot and those games were never fun um, right right but yeah it, it's it's great to see you know even in my shorter career obviously but I, I've seen a you know noticeable um, increase in talent and stuff like that um, and hopefully we will get to the levels of uh, domestic uh youth talent that uh, these other countries will uh that are at are, are are at right now um and and hopefully they will be the number one sport in the united states 
I'm not sure it will be, um, just because of the you know the stranglehold that the NFL has and the MLB has and stuff like that. But I can definitely see um, it becoming a very major sport, and you know that with the resources, especially the athletic resources that America has, um, could mean great things for the U.S. national team going forward. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I think it's 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 on a. Uh... It's growing each year, and I think that you know the MLS will definitely uh, you know have its stepping stone to go over as well. And then I mean, hopefully, it can just continue to grow as a as a company, and also just you know bringing up these players and these youth players. I think Christian Pulisic is is a wonderful idea. You know, I haven't been able to play with the kid, but you know, just to see him on TV and him living a dream at such a young age is mm-hmm. and a wonderful thing to see. And that's just the future of the United States. So hopefully, we can we can have more Christians in the future, and and you know. Uh, you know, really build this uh, the love for soccer within the country. Definitely. Um, so playing in Mexico as an American, I mean, did you grow up speaking Spanish? No, I actually did not. Um, you know, my dad is, is Mexican, was born in Mexico, but he lived most of his life, uh, almost all of his life, within the States. So, you know, uh, well, I was actually in Portugal when I had the opportunity to actually come to Mexico. So it was uh, definitely, a, a, you know, a very, very big change for me. You know, it was a... Uh, definitely 180 for me to actually you know uh do something completely different being in europe for about four and a half almost five years and, and in portugal and in traveling within europe and then going to mexico uh, it was definitely a, a big change for me but you know uh, i'd actually learned portuguese when i was in uh, brazil and, and then you know portugal is, is portuguese as well so i mean speaking fluently my wife is actually brazilian so we we only speak portuguese with household but um you know, just coming here, uh, you know, I, I learned, I was in residency program with the, with the national team and actually learned Spanish with a lot of the Hispanic kids, uh, the Mexican-American kids that were uh, that were with us and, you know, just to, 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 to try out the Spanish and everything. And, you know, uh, after being here a little bit, you know, I started to speak, uh, to mix some Portuguese and Spanish and within a few months, you know, I had the opportunity to go ahead and, and, and start speaking fluently in Spanish as well. So it's, you know, that's the wonders, the, the wonders of actually being a professional player, I think, you know, just to, to see how different cultures react and see how different cultures uh, live their lives and how, how those people, um, you know, do do in, in, in these different countries. And I think to, to be able to learn as many languages as I can uh, as possible, I think that's also one of the wonders of, uh, that soccer really gives you. No, I, I agree. And I guess my follow-up question to that is, so since you're American and obviously we have a little bit of a rivalry with Mexico, I mean, do you get any sort of, I guess, negative you know, feedback from any sort of fans? I mean, not even necessarily from your team, but other teams just because you're American? Um, no, not at all, you know, you, you, a lot of people ask that, but, you know, being here and you having, uh, being in a professional team, you know, you, you don't really have that much, um, that much pressure, uh, against, with, with other teams, right? I think those people understand that, that, uh, there are a lot of foreigners who are here within Mexico from Colombia, Ecuador, Argentina, um, all throughout South America and Central America, so, I mean, just being another... American, Mexican American. There's quite a few Mexican Americans here as well in, 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 in Mexico. So I think that just really opens the door for all these people, all these kids to have uh, these certain opportunities to be here. And, and I'm just uh, one more of them. Right, definitely. So speaking of international soccer, um, could you talk a bit about, you know, transitioning from playing club soccer in Mexico with a, a very strong Latino um, bias, I guess, in the game? Um, and a style of play to you know playing an American style of soccer with the internet with the U.S. national team. Uh, yeah, I mean you know you just really 
you just really have that opportunity to to take the best and take it to an international level. You know, I think that once you're a professional soccer player, you have to adapt wherever you go. And just having that opportunity to um, to, to use my talent that, that God has given me and, and take that with the national team, that's 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 definitely an opportunity that that Klinsman has, has given me in the past couple of years and hopefully I continue to, to grow within that. But um, besides that, you know, the, the, the soccer is definitely a big uh, religion, big thing, big deal here in Mexico. So I think that once you, once you can play in Mexico and even in Europe as well, you can really take your talent and, and, and show it on a bigger stage. Yeah, I, I agree. And so, I mean, I'm sure you're happy at Club Tijuana. You ever look to play in the MLS one day, maybe for FC Dallas? Um, you know, it could be a it could be an opportunity. Who knows in the future? You know, you never know what uh what can happen. Well, my my biggest dream is as a as a player to play professionally, and I, I'm living that. And you know, you never know what can happen. You just always have to look for the best opportunities, and, and who knows? Um, right now, I'm definitely very happy here in Mexico, and uh, you know, you can never never close the doors uh, to anything within the states. Yes, of course, and. I think that'll wrap it up for the interview. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, okay, perfect. No, no worries, guys. Thank you so much. Have a good day. All right, you too, man. Take care. Bye. All right, that was uh, Greg Garza from Club Tijuana and the U.S. national team. Yeah, it was great to have you on, Greg. You're welcome to come on again whenever you want. Definitely. Um, So moving on to the Copa America, uh, we had the first round. Um, This is a week after the first round. We'll just run through the results real quick. The U.S. lost to Colombia 2-0. Uh, Costa Rica and Paraguay tied uh, 0-0 in the other match in Group A. Um, Brazil and Ecuador tied 0-0 in Haiti and Peru. Uh, that ended 1-0 to Peru. Um, and then that was that was Group B. Group C, Jamaica lost to Venezuela 1-0. And Mexico beat Uruguay 3-1 um, in kind of... It was a very it was it was controversial yeah, very yeah controversial. in a controversial fashion um, and then in Group D Panama beat Bolivia two to one and Argentina beat Chile uh, two to one so going back to that Mexico Uruguay game um, I actually wasn't able to watch it but I know Avery you were well I, well okay so you, Mexico scored first right? right and then Uruguay tied the game up after Guadrado got sent off rightfully so too because he committed. He got a yellow card for a tackle he should have been sent off for. It was a horrible challenge, right? Right. And then he committed about five or six fouls in the second half, and every single one of them should have probably been a yellow card, but he didn't get that second yellow because, you know, it was, you know, it would have been a second yellow. But they, if it was the first yellow, he would have gotten every single one of them. Mm-hmm. I and mean, there were some bad fouls. Yeah. Or, like, you know, tactical fouls. And he eventually got sent off. It was kind of weird, though, because the ref didn't give him a yellow card at first, and there was some complaining, and then he gave the yellow card. Right. But then... Uruguay scores off of that next play, like the free kick. A good Godin scores a nice header, and then the I, what I thought was really controversial was the Rafa Marquez goal. It definitely hit his hand, but like the ball swung in, it hit his hand, and then the ball moved around more. It came to Rafa Marquez and he scored, but it one hundred percent should have been a handball on Rafa Marquez. And then the third goal just came from you know the play and. The Uruguay had to push everybody forward, so they were left themselves vulnerable. So, you know, I thought Uruguay looked fine. They actually only had 10 men the whole second half, so it was an interesting game. It was a chippy game. Mexico also looked good at moments, but I don't know. Both teams, I expect, to still advance. Mexico will probably win the group. And then a a game that I really wanted to touch on was the uh, Haiti-Peru game. Mm -hmm. Just because Peru... 
you know, they, they won 1-0, but Haiti, that guy missed that header at the very end of the game. I don't yeah, know if you saw that. He just broke down crying. Man. Yeah. I mean, for some of these smaller teams, this is the biggest tournament they'll ever play in. Um, you know, and it's sad to see a guy miss a chance like that. He really should have finished it, but, um, you know, you hate to see anybody go through that, whether it be a huge player or, a, uh, you know, a player that we've never heard of from Haiti. Um, you know, you, you hate to see a guy go through that, and... Unfortunately, it's part of the game. Uh, it happens, and Peru, I think, was the better team and deserved the win, and that's how it worked out. You know, and I, it was interesting because I thought Haiti had their moments where they looked like the better team. Obviously, Peru is more talented, right? But I actually thought that Haiti had moments, and not not necessarily just a few minutes either, like fifteen, twenty minutes. I think maybe not necessarily half of the game, but for thirty minutes of the game, I thought Haiti looked really good. And then another game I really want to touch on was the Venezuela-Jamaica game. I don't know if you saw um, that guy get the red card. Did you see that? I didn't see that. It, no. it was a clearance. So he, he reached his foot out to clear the ball for all you guys who didn't see it. And when he kicked it, when he came down, his studs hit the guy in the shins and they sent him off. Like, he, I mean, he had his cleat showing, but he he literally made full contact with the ball, kicking it before cleating the guy. And I didn't... I feel like this whole stud showing thing is almost getting kind of blown out of proportion now. Yeah. Because if you can't even go to kick a ball without having to worry about getting sent off, I mean, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, they have these laws to try and protect players, and in theory they would be good laws. You know, you can't go into a tackle with your cleats up, but they are getting blown out of proportion. I don't know if that's a an issue with the wording of the law itself um, and how it's enforced or just something that's unavoidable, but it seems like soccer has gotten a lot softer. It's become less of a contact sport recently, um, especially compared to, you know, back when guys like Vinnie Jones were playing, you know, yeah. they would go and hammer a guy and it wouldn't even be a card. Both guys would get up and just keep playing. Um, and now it's like you go into a tackle and either one guy rolls around on the ground or one guy gets sent off. It's like, yeah, I know. I mean, it's ridiculous. And, uh, I mean, I know they're trying to protect players more because the stuff that was going on back then, I can understand why they don't want it to go on anymore because some yeah. of it was bad. It was yeah. really bad. But it's just it's just too much sometimes, in my opinion. Yeah. It, you can get called for a foul for winning the ball nowadays, and I don't, mm-hmm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't agree with that. If you get the man and then the ball, I can understand, but guys will get the ball, make a good hard tackle, and they'll call a foul. Like, yeah, it takes, it's ridiculous. It's a physical sport. It's a yeah, contact I mean, sport. It's, it seems like, touching on that, it, it seems like guys are getting called for going into tackles too hard, regardless of if they win the ball or not, and it's ridiculous. Um, you know, you'll see a guy come through in a great slide tackle, crunches the guy, but gets the ball first, and he'll get, you know, carded. Yeah, but it's ridiculous. No, I mean, it you is. see games get, you know, you get you see games get turned by that. You know, yeah. a guy or even go, decided by a PK because of that. Yeah, and it's like a guy will go in clean tackle, just goes in hard, gets a second yellow sent off, and then his team ends up losing because he was playing good defense. Yeah, I you agree. know, it's ridiculous. And that, we didn't mean to go down this rabbit hole, but obviously yeah. we we both feel the same way about it. I think. Yeah, and then. The last game of the groups, uh, the first round of the group stages was Argentina versus Chile, which is a great game. Absolutely Di Maria was world class. Yeah, he really was. And, you know, you saw, I would say, the two best subs in the world, and Messi and Kun Aguero on the, on the bench. Yeah. Ridiculous. No, I mean, it is. The, the talent they're is They're so deep. They're so deep, especially in the attack. Um, it, Argentina is so loaded that... 
you're going to have a world-class player on the bench no matter what. Um, and it, I think that's why they're the most dangerous team in this tournament and deservedly the number one team in the world right now. Um, you know, and, and I did say that I thought Germany was better last week, but, you know, seeing them play against Chile, another top five team, I, I would take Argentina against Germany right now as it stands. Yeah. They, were, they were just so good. Both world-class teams. It's like picking between, you know, two great things. It's really tough to choose, and right. either team could win it on their day. I mean, they... They got to play each other in the World Cup, but that was two years ago. Yeah, but yeah, a lot of things have changed, and you know, guys are in form and out of form. I mean, Germany, all of their players were in form going into that tournament, and they had great confidence. You know, coming off of that Brazil, where that Brazil game where they just smashed yeah. them, obliterated them, and it took a, a stoppage time goal to beat Argentina. No, it did. Yeah. It took a, a extra time goal. You know? Yeah, and then. Going all the way back to the beginning of the tournament, USA Colombia, which we're doing this because we're going to touch on the next USA game afterwards. Mm-hmm. The handball I thought was very harsh. Yeah, um, I actually had an interesting argument with uh, my old high school coach, who had decided decided vehemently that DeAndre Yedlin had extended his arm to block the ball. And if you watch the replay, his arm was in a natural position. I mean, he had jumped one. Two, the ball was coming at him. He put his hand up by his face to block his face, right? Yeah. Like, that's a natural human reaction. And the law states if the ball, or if your arm is in an unnatural position extended from the body is when it's a handball. Yes, yeah. And so that protects players from, you know, getting called when they protect themselves, which is what he was doing. I mean, you look at his elbow. It was bent at a 90-degree angle. Like, it's not like it was extended away from his body. It was up by his face. Um, that, and he was looking away from the ball. He wasn't attempting to block it. He was attempting to protect himself and his face from the from the cross. Yeah. You know? No, I, I thought that was probably the biggest talking point. That and the handball in the Mexico game, in my yeah. opinion. And Colombia outplayed us, but... Yeah, yeah, I, saw I definitely agree. Jürgen Klinsmann say that we didn't get outplayed, but I can see where he's coming from because they, I don't think they dominated us. I don't think it was they played so much better than us. Yeah. That 2-0 was like a just result. I thought that I thought that you know they were the better team, but even 1-0 or 1-1 it would have made sense. We just didn't create enough chances, but I don't think they dominated that game. I think I would agree that they didn't dominate, but I think that Colombia was obviously the better team. Yeah, no, they I were agree definitely much more dangerous. Um I mean the US their best chance was off a free kick that yeah. Dempsey took and it was a decent free kick, yeah. but um, you know, the keeper read it the whole way and yeah. made an easy save. And he had that one shot that went just wide. Yeah, he had well. a shot that went just wide. But, I mean, those are two chances that one got saved and one went wide. I mean, Colombia had, I don't even know how many chances. Yeah, they had a know? lot. They were very dangerous. And they didn't dominate the entire game, but they were much more dangerous going forward. They created a lot more chances than the U.S. did. I agree. And I wouldn't even call Dempsey's chances full chances. I'd probably say yeah, they were I more mean, half chances. One was a set piece, so yeah. I mean, it's not even a, a from the run of play. Yeah, one was a set piece and one was a shot from like 25 yards out. So it wasn't like these were sitters or anything that he just missed. Right, yeah. And I, I don't know, I mean... The whole team played bad that game, but thank God since then we've had another USA game, and it was a dominant yeah. performance against Costa Absolutely Rica. Absolutely dominant. Um, you know, and at the beginning of the game, Costa Rica came out firing on all cylinders, just absolutely dominant for about the first 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. And, you know, you're sitting there watching it and thinking, here comes another game where we just get dominated and, yeah. you know, schooled. Um, but the U.S. hung in there. They played well. They defended well. Um, maybe got some calls to go for him. I, 
you know, trying to look at it from a completely objective standpoint, I think that the ref called some calls for the U.S. that probably could have gone the other way, or during the first half at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the U.S. was definitely the better team. They were up 3-0 in the first half, and there's only so much you can put on a ref. Um, I don't think it was a PK for Bobby Wood, and I, I understand why the ref called it, and I, I think that the ref has to call that every time because the guy put his hands, he raised his hands and put him on his back and pushed. But if you watch it, the guy, like, puts his hands on his back, Bobby Wood throws himself to the ground, and then his arms don't move. It's not like he extended through and pushed him to the ground, you know? Yeah. Um, so, obviously, the ref has to call it because the guy put himself in a position where the ref wouldn't be able to tell, um, especially at the speed of play. Um, but it was kind of a soft, soft way to go down and win a PK. Um, and I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. I would do exactly what Bobby Wood did. But it, it wasn't a forceful challenge enough to make Bobby Wood react in the way that he did without, you know, making himself fall. Yeah, no, I, I actually think it was that. De- I think it was definitely a PK. I think he went to jump and got pushed. And as we know, if you're running and get hit or anything, you will move more than you will if you're just standing still. Mm-hmm. Maybe he did exaggerate a little bit. That's, you know, that's possible. But I think we all do. I think if you don't exaggerate a bit to try and sell a call, you're not doing your job. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just my honest opinion. But, I don't know, I, we dominated them anyways. That I don't think that one... I think we still win that game without the goal. The goal helped, yeah. certainly, but I still think we win that game. Bobby I, Wood won a PK. He scored a goal. Zussi got a goal. I mean, we... we after that game, things changed, but I think that the momentum was already kind of swinging before the goal. Yeah, I think we definitely had the momentum at that point, um, and I think a goal was inevitable, but I don't think it would have been as dominant as the U.S., uh, as dominant a win. Um, I think the U.S. would have had to do a lot more defending, um, you know, against Costa Rica, because Costa Rica is a good team, and I, I think it would have been a much more even match, but I think the U.S. still does win. You know, they were so dominant for the rest of that half. Um and, and they were dominant for much of the second half as well. Uh, you know, they didn't score three goals in the second half, but they still got another goal, and they were still probably the more dangerous team. Yeah, I agree. I, I think Costa Rica was... Because the World Cup, they had a great World Cup, making it all the way to the quarterfinals. But I think that game showed that Costa Rica really lacks depth. They have some really good players in Kilo and Navas who didn't play. Brian Ruiz is a good player. Joel Campbell's a good player. But they don't have necessarily a solid deep squad. Well, like they don't have 11 guys who can necessarily compete and be at the level that the rest of the team can. And that's what I thought I noticed with that game most was that USA was just deeper. I mean, they had a way better squad. I mean, USA's had, you know, probably the second and then the fourth best players on the field. When I probably say Costa Rica had the first and third best players on the field in Campbell and Ruiz, and then right. USA had two through literally everything else. Yeah. So the team was the USA was a better team, and it was a result that we needed. And if Klinsman loses that game, I mean, I could just see him losing his job. Yeah, be because the US honest. they lose that game, the US is eliminated from the Gold Cup or from the sorry the Copa America in two games. Yeah. Which is unacceptable. Um. And I think that was a. Uh, maybe not a career defining or a career changing. It, it could be a career changing moment um, for Klingsman at least, uh, because there was a lot of pressure in that match, and they needed a result, and they responded in kind um, with the best performance I've seen out of a USA team in a long time. Yeah, and it was a great performance, and 
uh, moving on to the next game, Colombia Paraguay. I think Colombia it might be the team to beat in this tournament. Honestly, maybe maybe not over Argentina, but they mm-hmm. will give Argentina a fight. I really believe that. Yeah, Colombia's a very good team, and they the scoreline is closer than the match actually was. I think um, I think Colombia didn't take the match as seriously as they should have. I think they left their foot off the gas a little bit and kind of saved a bit. Um, they went up 2-0 and just kind of relaxed. And Paraguay had some chances off of set pieces. They had a goal called off, the tying goal called off, and then an absolutely ridiculously silly challenge from, um, oh, what was his name, Romero? Yeah, I think so. Something like that. One of their players got two yellow cards within two minutes. And they're fighting back against a very good team in Colombia, Paraguay is. Um, they have the momentum. They're creating all the chances in these last couple minutes. In the 79th and 82nd, I believe, was his uh, cards. And he he does two, he does he commits two fouls that are completely unnecessary. They're in the middle of the field. It's not a counter. It's just in the middle of play and he makes two yellow card yeah. decisions that cost his team, you know. And I mean after watching that game, do you think Colombia could win this? Maybe. Yeah. I I still I still think Brazil, or uh, Argentina is going to win. I think that they're just too talented for any team in the in the in the tournament to keep up with. Um but I think if somebody shocks Argentina, then Colombia is definitely my second favorite to win it. Yeah, and I would also like to throw out that that goal from I don't I don't remember who scored it, but the Paraguay goal was the goal of the tournament so far. Oh yeah, it was be- it was oh, absolute it was beautiful. beauty. It was um, Ayala, I think. Oh okay. oh no, you're right. It yeah, was yeah. Ayala, and they competed Absolutely really beautiful. well. To yeah, give I mean, that. yeah, they fought really well, and in, in in the you know, granted, the in the last fifteen twenty minutes, Paraguay was the better team, um, but I think it was more of a. a an example of Colombia taking their foot off the gas, then Paraguay beginning to dominate and being the better team. It was just Colombia were up two nil. They lost momentum and they lost you know a lot of effort from their players. You know you could see they looked really tired. You know the commentators were saying you know Colombia looks tired. Colombia looks tired. They're not running, and uh, you can't do that against a team like Paraguay because they work really hard and that work rate's gonna get them goals eventually against a team that's not working. Yeah, I, I agree and. Right now we're watching the Brazil Haiti game and it's five one. Brazil is just absolutely running through mm-hmm. Haiti. Haiti got a goal. Good for them. Yeah, they fought hard. Credit to them. Yeah, they just don't have the talent level. Yeah, and it's it, it's an interesting match to see because Haiti really is giving a great effort. They're you know fighting their hearts out, and Brazil's just another class level. You know, I mean they've got very very talented players, and you know we talk about Brazil kind of being disappointed in these big tournaments. Because they don't have the mental uh, fortitude when they play these bigger teams. Uh, maybe it's a confidence issue. Maybe it's you know the opposite, too much confidence um, when they play a bigger team. But you know you you definitely see their skill when they're when they're confident and they know they're the better team and they go out to win a game. Um, they've been completely dominant. You know, Hades had what would you say, like 20% possession? Yeah probably, yeah, probably like 30, 35. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's been a very dominant performance. I mean, Haiti loses the ball 
it seems like after five passes, Brazil, yeah. you know, tick, 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 tick around the field, and they always, it seems like they always get a good chance. Yeah, which is what is expected. Brazil's. Yeah, 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 definitely. Brazil's, you know, more talented, and they're, they're better in every facet of the game. Mm-hmm. And so Coutinho with a double, so it makes him joint top scorer in the yeah, it does. tournament. It does. So I guess after the first round of games, let's. We'll go through and we'll talk about what we talked about before. I mean, you still think Argentina will win this? I do. I do. I I think that Argentina is loaded with superstars. And my one worry about Argentina was a lot of the time superstar-laden teams will start slowly because, at least international teams, will start slowly because, you know, every player is used to being the player for their club team. Um, You know, Messi is, well, the player in the world. You know, he's the best player in the world. Um... And, you know, you see Di Maria, he's not maybe not the best player on PSG, but one of the best players. He's a superstar on PSG. And, you know, Lavezzi, you know, he comes yeah. in and he's just set a record for... Uh, no, sorry, Iguain. I yeah. get Lavezzi and Iguain mixed up. Um, Iguain comes in and he's just set a record in the Serie A for the most goals scored ever. Yeah. So you get, you get all these egos coming in and it's hard to work together. But, you know, that was totally... Yeah, proven wrong um, in their match against Chile. I think they worked together really well. They put their egos aside and worked as a team, and that's why they got the win against Chile, a very good Chile team, a, a top five in the world Chile team. I think what the big thing was, and it was like you said, sometimes these big teams start slow, but usually what the issue is is the first games against Haiti. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or it's yeah. against a smaller team, whereas they were playing one of their rivals to start off, I mean, some right. the team they just lost to in the Copa America last year. Yeah, it's it's hard not to get up for a, a 1-4 match. Exactly, you know? and, and someone who you've been competing with on a regular basis. Yeah. So when they look at that, they probably tell themselves, you know, like, this isn't just a normal game. you got to go out there and really compete. Right. And then who do you – I mean, James has got two goals. Coutinho's got two goals. The guy from uh, Peru, I – oh, I'm sorry, from – the guy from uh, ooh, what what country does he play for? The guy from Paraguay, has, oh Panama has two goals. Yeah, yeah. I mean he's probably not gonna finish goals no, top no. score. I mean, I, I, Panama's not gonna go deep enough in no. the tournament. <sighs> I still think uh, Sergio Aguero will yeah. get the golden boot. I think that even after he didn't even start in the first game. Yeah, he didn't he didn't start, but he looked very dangerous coming yeah. on um, against Chile, who again is a good team, and we're still competing in that match. You know, trying to get back the tying goal, um, and he looked dangerous, and he really had more of an impact on the game, at least from my standpoint, than Iwain did. Um, I mean, I, I think his his name was called more when he came on than Iguain when he was playing, um, and I I personally think he's a better he's a better player and he's a better finisher. You know, he he scores a lot of goals in the BPL, which is a very tough league to score in, um, and I think one of the best defensive leagues in the world. Whereas Iguain's playing in the in Syria, where you know, yeah, there are some good teams at the top, but there are some very questionable teams at the bottom and in the middle of the table, you know? Yeah, and no, I agree. And I, I actually am changing my top goal scorer to Angel Di Maria. I think Di Maria looked great. He had a golden assist in the first game. And I'm yeah. also going to change my player of the tournament to Angel Di Maria, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's safe to say that, you know, the top scorer has a very, very good chance of being um, the, player. the player of the tournament. Yeah. I mean, unless somebody comes out and, like, has a million assists, you yeah. know, or like or some keeps a clean sheet yeah. every game or something like that. But 
I, I would agree with that. I think Di Maria has a very good chance. And if, if Aguero continues to not get the playing time that I think he deserves, um, I think Di Maria is a very good choice at a you know, leading scorer. Yeah, and then most clean sheets, who do you got for that one? Because, I mean, there was a lot of clean sheets in the first week. I mean, Colombia right. got a clean sheet. They didn't get a clean sheet last night, though. So Costa Rica, that guy, they're gonna, they might not make it. I mean, if you... Yeah, I mean, all the big teams, only Brazil, who they just gave up a goal, so all the big teams, their goalie hasn't gotten a clean sheet yet. Mm-hmm. Or at least he doesn't have more than one. Or they have at least one game where they don't have one. Right, I believe I picked Uruguay, but yeah, I don't know. I yeah. would say uh, yeah, it's it's really tough at this point. I would probably say Argentina. Um, I think that Sergio Romero is a good keeper. He made a great save um, against Alexis Sanchez. Absolutely too. great save. And, you know, they gave up one goal against a very, very powerful attacking side in Chile. Um, and they're not going to face another side with that much attacking power f- until at least until after the group stages, maybe even beyond. Um, so I can't see him giving up too many goals, if any goals at all, in the in the group stages and the group stage games remaining. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean... That'll probably be the key, honestly, is who keeps keeps the clean sheets against bad teams. Like, mm-hmm. if the Brazil goalie Alisson had two clean sheets after these first two games, I mean, you you're in a pole position when you don't give up a goal in your first exactly, two games. yeah. But um, I think Argentina again is just so overpowered; they're going to dominate basically any team they come across. Yeah, and no, I think you're right. And it'll be interesting to see how the rest of this tournament plays out. And we're going to cover the rest of the tournament. We're also going to be releasing a Euros preview, so mm-hmm. that's why this episode is going to be a little short. Plus, we have the interview, too. Yeah. So, but, yeah, we will be previewing the Euros, which is very exciting, The which is, as we're recording this right now, is two days away, mm-hmm. so it starts Saturday. Very exciting. Or Friday. 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 Hey, so it's Friday. Yeah. Alright, well, uh, I think that does it for this episode. Um, as always, you can get in touch with us on Twitter, on SoundCloud, on iTunes, uh, basically any social media we have a Facebook page as well they're all Pinto Football website too oh yeah our website www.pintofootball.com um, we're also going to begin posting you know straight links to the uh, all the podcasts so um, if you miss one you'll be able to go to our website and find them all there uh, yeah that's yeah. all thanks for listening guys thanks guys